Before we get started today, I want to read a passage and then I want to pray together. So let's read this passage because I want us to, I was reminded of this yesterday in a book that um, I'm listening to. And uh, I think it's important that we get to this uh, at the beginning of the service. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all, to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And Paul writes this and reminds us that we've got to be going to prayer. I don't know that there has ever been a time, there's never been a time when people didn't need prayer. I don't know if there's ever been a time when we've needed it more than right now. And so we're going to pray together, but I want you to, to pray. We're going to just take a second here. Just in your heart, I want you to pray for every person you know that comes to your heart that is not saved. I want you to pray for everyone, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, whoever comes to your heart. I want you to pray for the unsaved as we pray. Let's just take a few seconds to do that. Okay, now let's pray together. Father, we make prayers, we make intercessions for all people. All people, every man, woman, and child on this earth. They need you, Lord. They need you. We pray for them, for kings and authorities and rulers and politicians and leaders and principals and all the people who are out there in our society, our culture, uh, wherever they are, that are responsible for people. Lord, I pray that you turn their hearts, so many of them, their heart has been turned to deception. I pray you turn their hearts towards you, Lord, that we might be able to live quiet lives in reverence, peaceable, loving one another, and worshiping you, and you drawing people to yourself through us. We want to be those people, Lord, and we pray that you would give us evangelism here in this church, evangelism, that we might see people saved who need you so desperately who are struggling, and, and this is a time of year when many struggle, Lord, you know that. And I pray that you would draw them to us. God, we love you so much. You are our King and our Savior. Forgive our sins, let's be right before you as we worship you through the reading of your word, through the teaching of your truth. In your name, amen. Okay, uh, one quick thing before we start. Christmas Eve service is at five. Last week I said four because someone in the back kept saying, hey, it's at four. They were wrong. Worst of all, I listened. And so it's at 5 p.m. on Christmas Eve. We are not having a service on Christmas morning. Okay, you do whatever you normally do on Christmas morning. Hopefully that's, you know, doing your Christmas thing on Christmas morning because people who do that on Christmas Eve are weird. Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Somebody's sad. That's, you know what? It's okay. You're not weird. Um, I'm kidding. So, but here's the thing. I want to ask you a couple things. Two things I want to ask you for the Christmas Eve service. Bring a family that you know and bring a friend. Do both if you can. If you only have a friend and you don't have a family that you know, okay. But try to, I, I would like this to be the, the service with the most people that we've had in this building 
ever. I want to be packing out the, the entire lobby with chairs because we can't fit them in here for Christmas Eve because it is a time to celebrate. It is a time when people are open to the gospel. It is a time when people are willing to go with you to church because it's, to them it's a cultural thing or whatever. Um, I'm, so I'm asking you to do that, to, to truly think about that and do it. And I know I'm saying it at the beginning, so you'll forget it by the end. So write it down or put it in your phone or something. Remind yourself, invite somebody, a family that's not going to church somewhere else. Your neighbor, Go talk to your neighbor. Bake them cookies if you can bake good. If you don't bake good, don't bring them your bad cookies, okay? <laughs> bring those to me. I'll still eat those. But, um, but go over and invite your neighbors or do something like that. Bring a family with you to church. Let's make it so that we can't fit them so that we have that many people who are hearing the gospel, that many people who are worshiping Jesus. Um, the other thing I'd ask is to be there early. Please be there early. Don't be coming in as we go, because it's gonna, if we do fill the place out, which I hope we do, that's up to the Lord and up to uh, us and the work we do, but if we do fill the place out, we need to be able to get to know who's here so we can be adding chairs and doing that kind of thing. The other thing is Carol of the Bells is the first song we're going to play, and you don't want to miss that every year. That's, that's a fun one. So... Um, that's all I got to say about that. Let's get into the Bible. What do you think? Um, this, by the way, today, December 18th, is uh, Tiffany and my anniversary. Yep. 23 years of marriage. I married her when she was five. Um, that was normal back then. This is 1800s. Um, 23 years of marriage today. Uh, what an amazing thing to be in a, in a relationship given to me by God, uh, given to her as chastening, but to me as a blessing. I know. Now, hopefully we'll bless each other, but it's an amazing thing. Marriage is an amazing thing. Um, and God has created marriage. Let's get in the Bible for a second and, and talk about it. This is Genesis 2, 18 to 25. There's one of these in front of you, by the way. If you don't have a Bible with you, I recommend that you bring your Bible with you. People don't do that very much, but I would love to be a church where you all brought your Bibles with you. Um, if you're the type of person who writes in your Bible, it's a good time to do that because we go through the Scripture here. We study the Scripture. We're big on the Scripture. Even the youth, our youth, that's what they do. They study the Bible. It's not a lot of pizza parties down there. I'm not saying they never eat pizza. You know, Patrick's the youth lead guy, so of course they eat pizza sometimes. But, they, but mostly, they go down and they study the Word. I don't know if you know this, but our youth, they study the Word of God for an hour or so on their Wednesday nights when they meet. It's, it's an important thing for us. We've kind of gone away from the old model this is an aside, but we've gone away from the old model of sort of like get them in with games and candy and playing chubby bunny. I don't know if you remember that where you're sticking marshmallows in your mouth. Fun, but not that spiritual, um, I found. And so we have been really focused on uh, teaching the word of God. And, and when we sort of went back for a week to let's do the thing, get them up here, turn the music on, you know, that whole thing, you know, like you'd think of trying to be cool for the youth. They were like, let's go downstairs and study the Bible. Um, so our, our kids are studying the Word. We are studying the Word. Um, and so if you don't have one of these, take, take one with you, one of these. You can have it. It's yours if you don't have a Bible at home. Uh, if you do, bring it when you come to church. It says something about your seriousness in studying the Word. So let's get into it. Genesis 2. If you're using one of these, it's going to be on like page 2 probably. Let's see. Let me read the preface real quick. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. It is on page 2. Genesis 2, we're going to start at verse 18 and read through the 25th verse. It says this, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I can second that. I will make him a helper comparable to him. 
Out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And the rib which the Lord God had taken for man, he made into a woman. So he made man out of the dust of the earth, but not woman. She was made out of a rib. Uh, and he brought her to the man. God brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. This is before he got fat. Because eventually, you know, no, I'm kidding. It's before the fall. <laughs> God designed marriage. God designed marriage. And, and, and the, I find this really interesting. I don't know how often we pay attention, but God brought the woman to the man, right? We're gifts to each other. We're gifts to each other in marriage. Proverbs 18, 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing, amen, and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 19, 14, houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. God has ordained this, He's ordained marriage, and God is gifting. He's, it's a gift. It's a blessing that you get in marriage. I hope that the husbands now are saying amen. Maybe squeeze the hand of your wife if she's with you. If she's not with you, where's your wife? But anyway, marriage is planned by God. It's planned by God. Marriage was willed and directed by God. Uh, and... It was planned and willed and directed by God for a purpose, a purpose. One of the things you have to understand about where we are in our culture right now is that the idea of purpose in general is going away. It's been going away for a long time, okay, but especially mid-1800s, there's a guy named Charles Darwin, you've probably heard of him, uh, he came out with an idea uh, about the way that biological diversity happens. In other words, that we have lots of different animals. How did that happen, right? And, and when he came up with that idea, it was an unplanned, non-purposeful idea. And as that permeated the culture, that started to get into everything. That idea, along with a lot of others, you can't just blame Charles Darwin for this. There's a lot of other people who came in. And what's happened is we've taken away and taken away and taken away the idea of purpose. And when you take away the idea of purpose, of course you take away the idea of God. God is a creator who creates with purpose. Everything he does has a purpose. You have a purpose. Marriage has a purpose. It was ordained as a particular thing that God made. God has a purpose for everything he does. He made marriage for, for helping, as we hear it here. He made it for fruitfulness for children, uh, to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. I like that. Let's read Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is all part of the purpose that we're supposed to do. Marriage is at, is at the base you know, God is a foundation, and marriage is at the base, and then family, and then the rest of the, the things that we do in society, they all come through that. We have dominion. Most of you 
uh, husbands uh, are the ones who have to take dominion over the spiders uh, in your house, probably, right? Like, subdue it! That's, that's what I have to do at my house. Not just for my wife. We've had Patrick Murdoch living at our house for a while. And he's afraid of spiders also, so I, I have to subdue them for him. Um, but, you know, he'll get there. He'll get there. God made marriage for a number of things, including love and affection. Read Song of Solomon if you like blushing. Uh, he made marriage because he knew it would be a union that honored one another and honored God. He didn't, not everybody is supposed to get married. Not everybody is supposed to have kids. Not everybody is supposed to do that. That's not, that's not the point I'm making, that somehow unmarried or married without children or any of those things is, that, that's not the point. The point is that whatever, what marriage is, it is something that God created and for a purpose. doesn't mean that everyone is intended to be in one. But he did create it, and he did create it for a purpose. But this thing that he created for a purpose, to honor each other, to honor God, has changed over time. It's changed over time. It's gone from being about God and following the purpose that he planned and willed and directed to being about individuals and their plans and their wills. Marriage has been perverted pretty much from the fall. Thousands and thousands of years we've perverted marriage in different ways, Right? Everything from adultery, divorce, abuse, selfishness, all of these things have crept in to marriage. And it's become perverted as a result of that. And now, in the past few years, and really it's just been the past few years, we've taken marriage and made a complete mockery of it altogether. And we've done that by calling the joining of men with men and women with women marriage. If you're listening to this on a podcast, I am using quotes because that is not marriage. It's not marriage. Marriage was ordained by God. Men cannot change what God has ordained. This is something you need to understand. No matter what people tell you, no matter what they tell you, nothing that God ordained can be changed by men, including what he said that we already read. Male and female, he created them. He, the man shall join his wife, right? The two shall become one flesh. Leave mom and dad. And what? The marriage. Man, woman, one flesh. That's, you can't change that. You can't write a law and put a word there that does not mean what you say it means. And all of a sudden change something. It can't be done. It can't be done. Marriage was ordained by God. Men cannot change what God has ordained. This has, this has implications in so many things in your life. And the sickness of our time is that there are Christians who go along with this mockery of God and his ordained union of a man and a woman. Some people may be uncomfortable right now with me saying this. In fact, most people in the United States would probably be uncomfortable with me saying this. According to a Gallup poll from 2021, 70% of Americans support recognizing same-sex marriage legally. In 1996, when I graduated from high school, 27%. Okay, I didn't graduate from high school that long ago, okay? In that time, 27% to 70%. It's both Republicans at 55% and Democrats at 83% and Independents at 73%. All of them have a majority, clear majority, that support same-sex marriage. We've gone from, in 2004, Barack Obama said this, marriage is between a man and a woman. We have a set of traditions in place that I think need to be preserved. That wasn't bad. I wasn't planning on doing that, but that came out pretty good. By 2012, Obama changed his mind. At a certain point, he said, I've just concluded that, for me personally, it's important for me to go ahead and affirm that. I think same-sex couples should be able to get married. 
I might do the whole sermon in the Barack Obama voice. It's pretty good. In 2006, Joe Biden said marriage is between a man and a woman. Five days ago, Biden said marriage, I mean this with all my heart, marriage is a simple proposition. Who do you love? And who will you be loyal to that person who you love? It's not more complicated than that. It's not? What if you love your sister? Right? This is what's happened. It's a short period of time. This is what's happened three nights ago. Donald Trump, Carrie Lake, among others, celebrated at Mar-a-Lago with the Lob Cabin Republicans, a group that's self-described as the nation's original and largest organization representing LGBT conservatives and straight allies. They were there in their sequined and velvet tuxedos, and our, the, the, the Republican leaders were there. And this is what Trump said. We are fighting for the gay community, and we are fighting and fighting hard. With the help of many people here tonight in recent years, our movement has taken incredible strides. The strides you've made here is incredible. That's how you know it was Trump, because of the grammar. Um, Here's the thing. There is nobody that you can look to. There is nobody that you can look to that is protecting God's ordained purpose in the world. So if you are looking to them, stop it. They're not doing that for you. They're not doing that for you. Our politicians on both sides of the aisle have bought into this perversion of marriage because it's in their interest to do so. What's worse is that some in the church have participated in or endorsed or even celebrated these changes. Romans 1, 28-32. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. This is the world. Do not let yourself believe that the world is anything but that. The world and its systems, that's where they are. Not only do they do the things themselves, but they approve of those who practice them. Mocking God. Mocking what he's ordained. Our culture, our schools, our politicians from the major parties, our corporations, they all celebrate the mocking of God and what God has ordained for marriage. Some through the desire for power or fear of revenge. Some of you might be sitting here thinking, if my boss knows that I'm listening to this sermon, this guy up here talking about this, I might get in trouble. I might get canceled. I might get doxxed. I might get whatever. Some because they've just been deceived. But however it's happened, it is evil, it is sinful, and it is a perversion and mockery of marriage. Now, why am I talking about this? Am I a hateful bigot? No, I'm not. I love people who deal with same-sex attraction the same way I love anyone else and everyone else. I love them. I weep for them. My heart's broken for them. They're the ones that I love. They're the ones that I love. Just, just because, and this is important too, this is a side. Loving someone does not mean accepting everything they do. What an absurd idea that has, that has come. And what's happened is there's this whole move that's happened. And maybe we'll get into this more at another time. But there's this whole move that's happened where you said, well, this thing that I do is my identity. This thing that I do is who I am. Now, of course, you can see how all this comes when you get rid of purpose. When you get rid of purpose, then what do you do? You have to create your own. Now my identity 
is whatever I've decided my purpose is, and my identity can be all kinds of things. It can be whatever I want it to be. And so they say, this is my identity, whatever it happens to be. There's a lot of letters, LGBTQIA+, and so on. But there's a lot of other ones too, guys. That's, that's an easy target for a lot of people. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of sexual morality that has nothing to do with that. And there's a lot of other things that have nothing to do with that where people identify themselves. And then they say this, if you love me, you will accept and celebrate this because it's who I am. That is nonsense. That is absolute nonsense. There's no such thing as a heterosexual person or homosexual person. That's nonsense. That's not, it's nonsense. You either do things the way God has ordained them or you don't. You are not a fill in the blank. You need to reject that ideology. I usually will use the term, this person describes himself as, and then say the thing, rather than this person is, because just that language change is huge. Somebody says, I'm gay. That's not, that's a false statement. Or I'm straight. False statement. You either are in God's will or you're not in God's will. You are not, you don't have an orientation. All of that language just crept in so that now somebody can say that. You know, alcoholism has a much higher genetic uh, connection than, than same-sex attraction. And we don't say when someone's an alcoholic, I love that about you. I want to celebrate that. <laughs> right? We don't say that. What do we say? You need help. How can I help you? How can I help love you? But I don't love that. You could, I, you could literally do the same trick with any sin. Right? And then say, it's who I am. And then what, what do we do? It's who you are. Or I was born that way. Yeah, you were born a sinner too? Wow. Surprise, surprise. We were all born sinners. Do not buy into that. That is a mockery of God's plan and purpose too. Who decides? God decides. God decides what our purpose is. But I love these people. I love people who struggle with gender dysphoria, transgenderism, just as much as I love everyone else. I love them. Talking about this, because I follow Jesus and because I do love all these people. And I refuse to pretend that harmful behavior and believing things that are untrue and that mock God and his purpose, that are sins against the created order, I'm, I'm not going to act like those are okay. It's because I love. Now somebody could take this, clip it up, put it on the internet and say, hateful, bigoted pastor says blah, blah, blah. And if they knew me, they would know that is not true. That is not true. You find any person who, who is struggling with any of these things or any sin who knows me and who I'm familiar with it is going to say, he loves me. He doesn't love that, but he loves me. I don't love my sin either. And I don't love your sin. So don't ask me to. I'm not going to celebrate your sin. I tell you these things because I believe in the word of God, in the scripture, I stand upon the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. I don't know how many of you learned that song growing up. But I tell you what, you know what? Sometimes it comes back. It's like, you know, that was right. That was the best theology I got. B-I-B-L-E. Yeah. I was some good theology. I stand upon the word of God. You will not move me. You're not going to move me from it. I'm not trying to fit in. I don't want to fit in. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Our culture is broken and sinful. Just as I was a wicked, sinful man who have only been saved by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and continuously have to go back to my Savior for forgiveness, 
because I need him. But the world is broken. I want other people to experience what I've experienced, what so many of you have experienced, hopefully all of you, which is the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. I want them to have the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ too. I cannot preach the gospel, preach from the word of God, and either ignore or lie the reality of the perversion of marriage and other things that have happened. Let me just tell you something just so you can understand. Marriage isn't just about you. But everything's about me. It's what they all keep telling me. It's all about you. You go, boy. You go, girl. You're not. It's not about you. I mean, I'm going to say it's not about you at all. Obviously, if you're married, there's something that's about you in it. But it's not all about you. It's about two people, a man and a woman. And it's about God who ordained marriage. And he gets to say what the purpose of marriage is. Period. Period. But there's another reason I bring this up in my Christmas sermon. <laughs> Last Christmas. We're just, yeah. I, I, don't. I bring it up for this reason. Because just as marriage has been perverted by our culture, so is Christmas. We have been slowly but surely getting away from the meaning of Christmas for a long time. And it happens, just, it just happens a little bit at a time. You don't even understand why it's happening, but it's happening. Christmas is the celebration of the incarnation of Christ, of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It's a celebration of God sending us His only begotten Son to save us, to save sinners. We just have to believe in Him. This is what it says, John 3, 16 through 21. You guys are probably familiar at least with the first verse here. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. Amen. But he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. They hate the light. And does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. The only begotten Son of God was sent to us. Because we needed him. Because we need grace. It is because of our wickedness that we need him. It's not just a, a neat story of a virgin birth. That's not it. We need him because we're sinners who need a savior. It's because of our failures and our rebellion that we need him. It's because without him, we're alone and afraid and depressed and empty. And if you look around in society, that's what you will see. A bunch of people who feel alone, who feel afraid, who feel empty, who feel depressed, who try to fill that up, can't get their eyes off of it. You know, I just don't stop. Don't stop because then I have to think. Don't stop because then I feel alone. Don't stop because then I'm afraid. I'm depressed. I feel empty. So fill it up. Fill it up. And that's what they try to do. With him, we are full. 
and in relationship. We are ne- you know you're never alone? Never. If you're a Christ follower, you are never alone. You have the Holy Spirit. Jesus is with us always, even at the end of the age. Amen, right? We're never alone. Remember that the next time you feel alone. You are not alone. God is with you. Without him, yeah, alone, afraid, depressed, empty. With him, we have the Holy Spirit. And we have everlasting life. Christmas is about this passage. Here we go. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. He made it all. All right, Christians, if you're wondering, he made it all. It all has a purpose. Anyone who tells you anything different is lying to you. Demonic lies from hell who try to take the purpose away from creation and tell you, you don't need to follow that. That's been going on since the garden. Did he really say? Did he really say that? No, you can choose your own purpose. You can be your own God. Lies from Satan. That's what that is. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Did not overcome it. Will not overcome it. That's what Christmas is about. We go on later in the passage. uh, This is verse 14 through 17. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's a Christmas story. And we beheld his glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's the Christmas story. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. When the Pew Research study, uh, I'm sorry, Pew Research did a survey in 2013 and asked this, What do you most look forward to about Christmas? 76% of people said either time with family and friends or that people are happy and or joyful. And only 11% said religious reflection and church. Christmas is about Christ, player. Okay? It's about Christ. It's about us receiving the gift of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. It's not about your family or your kids or your comfort. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. It's about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords coming to earth to save us and teach us and love us. You got none of those other things without that. I love hanging out with my family, most of my family. No, I love hanging out with my family and eating. I love eating. You can probably see that with your eyes. If you're just listening online, I look great. Don't worry about it. And I love giving and receiving gifts. All of that is great. It's great stuff. But even those things, which are good things, they're good things, but they're a distraction unless you get the glory of God and what he has done for us. Don't be distracted. According to the Lifeway Research Study from 2018, only slightly more than one in five Americans, 22%, say they could accurately tell the Christmas story found in the Bible from memory. We need to understand things, something. And listen closely to this, please. Most people with a platform are trying to teach you something. Most people with a platform are trying to teach you something. Every song, 
every Christmas movie, every show, every advertisement, just about everyone who is speaking is trying to teach you something. They're trying to teach you something, and very few of them are teaching the truth. The attempt of the devil is to corrupt Christmas. He hates Christmas. He hates that we are saved. He hates the seed. He tried to destroy the seed. He hates it. He hates God. And he hates the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to save us. He hates it. He wants to destroy it. He wants to corrupt Christmas. You and I, those who follow Christ, those who follow Jesus Christ, we have to be the ones to stand strong on what Christmas is about. The celebration and remembrance of our King and Savior and friend, Jesus Christ. We have to resist the culture. There has to be a difference between you and your unsaved neighbor. There has to be a difference between you and your unsaved neighbor, and not just a difference that only you know about, but a difference that everybody knows about. We have to resist the culture. There has to be something different. You're set apart. We have the Holy Spirit, the restrainer. Do you understand that with all the things you see in the world that are bad, how much worse it would be without the church? The church, we're the ones who have the Holy Spirit. We're the body of Christ. We're the ones restraining. When God takes us in the rapture, I don't know if you've read the book of Revelation, but it's real bad. Things go really, really bad, really, really quick. You need to understand part of your purpose is restraining the evil that's going on. And that's not just about, uh, you know, voting or going to your PTA meeting and yelling or whatever that stuff is. I'm not saying don't, I don't care what you do with all that. Here's the thing. You change people's hearts by being different. You resist the culture in a million little ways. In the way you talk, in the way you celebrate Christmas, in the way you bring it around, people are talking to, talking about it, to what it's really about. If you're sad because of where our culture is going, it's time to remember that we teach too. They're trying to teach you with everything they do. You think you're just listening to a song, but what they're trying to do is change your heart. You think that Satan, the great musician, doesn't know how to influence music? Movies? Y'all been to Hollywood? It's not great. <laughs> it's not great. But we teach too. We're the body of Christ, his people, a holy and set-apart people. We're the ones who have to show our devotion, our seriousness, and our unwillingness to be moved. We need to show through our actions and through our words what Christmas is all about. Christmas is a time for evangelism. Christmas is a time for evangelism, for bringing the good news, the gospel. Let's read a little piece of the Christmas story here. Luke 2, 8 through 20. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. The shepherds were excited, not for Christmas trees and presents, not saying there's anything wrong with those things. Please don't email me. But they were excited about the real thing. Then they went to see Jesus. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And they went and told people, and everyone marveled when they heard it. You have to understand what that was about. These were people who knew they needed Jesus. I'm not going to get into it, but being a shepherd wasn't great. Smelly. Right? They weren't looked well upon. Having to sleep outside all the time. It's like people in Portland. No. (laughs) They're not shepherds. You need to pray for them too and love them too. When you know you need Jesus and you find him, you are excited. You return to your life glorifying God. When you know that you need him, our culture will try to make everything about you. If everything's about you, you don't need him. You're great. You're wonderful. Just understand that and believe that. Don't believe it. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He is to be praised and worshiped, not us. We are the worshipers of a God who is willing to become a man to save us. The church of this age has become selfish and lukewarm. It has. We can't deny that. It's the reality. How many, how many stats do I have to read you before we admit this? Revelation 3, 14 through 22, this is to the church of Laodicea. And the angel, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot, neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich. I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Change your mind. Turn from that. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We got to wake up. 
we have need of nothing. Look at us. We're rich. We're wealthy. We need nothing. Some of you are like, I'm not rich. Go to Honduras. You're rich. You're not picking up candy off the street so you can eat it. You're rich. Okay? You don't know what people live like. You're rich. And in our hearts, we go, we have need of nothing. Or all we need is maybe some more money. Or if our boss would just be nicer to us, or if our wife or our husband would just be nicer to us, or whatever, everything would be great. We need nothing. And we're, what does it say? Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. We need Jesus. Our neighbors need Jesus. Our leaders need Jesus. Our coworkers need Jesus. Our families need Jesus. Need him. We've got to break them out of this nonsense where they think that they're, they're rich and they're wealthy and they have need of nothing. They're apathetic. And what do they do? Christmas comes, they go, I couldn't tell you the story, but I sure like the fact that people are joyful. What is that nonsense? I'm glad that people are joyful too. Why are they joyful? Well, hopefully it's because they're saved. Now, I love Christmas and I love all the, all the stuff. I'm just asking you, Christ followers, to not get lost. Don't get lost in the distraction part of Christmas. Keep central what's central. I, I went to Disneyland uh, a couple weeks ago with some little kids because that's who you go to Disneyland with. Those of you who are going without kids, don't do that. No, I've done that. So look, it is what it is, okay? Say what you have to say. We all have our sins. In any case, it's all decorated for Christmas, and that's and it, it's good. It makes you feel good. Doesn't it make you feel good? You see the light, people have lights on their house, or you know, it makes you feel good. There's memories, there's all that stuff. That's all good. I'm not poo-pooing any of that. I just said poo-poo. I, I, I'm not doing that. I'm not love it. Love all of that. But why? Why does it make you feel good? Because at the end of the day, for the Christ follower, it feels good because Jesus came as a baby vulnerable, in a manger, and grew up and never sinned, and was a man of sorrows, so that he could save us, because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. What was the joy set before him? You, me, we're going to be with him forever. We need Jesus. We're the ones with the Holy Spirit who is the restrainer. God can teach through us. We have the truth. But we have to teach. We have to teach this rich, selfish world that they need Jesus. You are valuable and important. You are a person that Jesus died for. You're special, and he proved it with his life, with his blood and his body. And then he rose again. This is about the greatest news we have ever had, that we can have everlasting life in God, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is the hope that keeps us from mourning in sadness like the world does. It is the hope of our future that's drawing us. It's drawing us to Christ. Everlasting life, you know when that starts? Right now. You're in it. It's going to keep going. You're being drawn. You're being drawn by eternity to Christ. That's something to celebrate. Use this season to proclaim that to everyone you know. We are waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. Okay? I really don't think it'll be long. I don't make dates and predictions and all that kind of stuff. 
But I don't think it's going to be long, guys. Use the time you have left to make disciples for him, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to obey all that he has commanded. For lo, he is with us always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Right? That's what we're called to do. And it takes courage. Look, it takes courage. You got to be willing to lose friendships, relationships with family members, your job maybe. Well, what's more important? That you can say when you stand before the Lord, I did what you called me to do? Or that you have those friends or those relationships? What do you, what do you think the apostles were going through? You know, very few of you are going to be sawn in two, boiled in oil, fed to lions. You have not yet shed blood resisting sin. Make sure that you have the same courage that the church originally did because the same spirit is in you. And it's not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be willing to be called names in order to love people well enough to tell them the truth. In love. Season with salt. It also takes community in the body of Christ, his church. Get in a life group. If you're not in a life group, please show up on Sundays. Show up in life groups. Make relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You can't do this alone. You were never intended to. You fit into the body. He is using you. Do not be distracted by the shiny Christmas lights and forget why we do this. Where Christmas will end up being as perverted from its purpose in our culture as marriage has become. The angels told the shepherds, good news. Now you go tell your neighbors.